Hello and welcome to the weekly message podcast from Crozet United Methodist Church in Crozet, Virginia. We invite you to join us in person any Sunday for our contemporary service at 9.30 a.m. or for a more traditional service at 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org for further information. We hope you enjoy this week's message from Crozet UMC. begin a frankly uncomfortable worship series where I say things that I would never have said from the pulpit or the chancel or in public because it is time for us to begin our discernment process. And the global church, the global United Methodist Church, the denomination itself is moving toward a time when we will make an epic decision. And that's because as human sexuality continues to expand in our understanding and what is normal continues to change secularly and culturally, the church is now at a point where it must make a decision. And as we do that globally, it will require us individually as Christians, but also as this body of Christ to do the same thing. And so in order to do that, we believe that we are given not only rational minds, but experience and tradition and scripture so that we might discern what God would have us say and do, and ultimately who God would have us be. And so we have this worship series around human sexuality where we will be exploring many of the scriptures that are used in this discussion, the scriptures that point out what is not normal sexually from a biblical standpoint. And our job is to to discern what we believe about that moving forward. So today's scripture starts in Deuteronomy. It is part of the Torah, the first five books of the Bible for Jews and for biblical believers from the time before Jesus all the way up until now. This is an epic part of the scripture. These are very authoritative texts. They are some of the oldest texts that we have. They present to us the law, what God would have early believers and us do. There are 613 commandments contained in the first five books of the Bible, and the Bible assumes that the followers of those 613 commandments will be men. We know this because the sign of entering into the covenant is male circumcision. Women do not have that same physical response to the invitation. And so women were actually excluded from those commandments that were time-based. That's because, as is normal and good and fruitful, women go through periods each month and throughout the year where we are ritually unclean. And so we were excluded from time-based commandments because through no fault of our own, we may not be able to fulfill them. And so we were kind of an ancillary piece to the covenant. The covenant was made mostly between a male-understood deity and male people. Over time, though, this has shifted, and this is why this series is so important, because over time, Scripture is living. It is continually breathed new life by the Holy Spirit, opening our eyes, our hearts, and our minds to see things that we might not have seen before. So just as now we understand, and most of Judaism understands, that the covenant can be entered into by women as fully as it is by men, we understand that the scriptures are constantly illuminated in new ways. Hence, we just pray the prayer for illumination. Because we believe that the Spirit can show us things that we might not have ever seen before this moment in time. 
The scriptures have done this repeatedly over the course of human history. For instance, during the service of the prophet Isaiah, both before, during, and after the Babylonian exile, God was speaking to God's people words of hope and accountability and telling them that there would come a Messiah. And the people needed a Messiah, not just in some esoterical, theological way, but they literally needed somebody to come in and save them from the foreign oppression of Babylon, who had not only subjugated the promised land, but had ripped up a good portion of their people and taken them into exile. They needed to be returned, that the the promised land would be restored. And so they were praying for God to send them a deliverer to bring this about in their day, and God did. Many of the people at that day watched as God raised up from another nation entirely, Cyrus of Persia. And it was Cyrus who overthrew the Babylonian Empire and then empowered all of those Jews in exile to go home to the Promised Land and equipped them with the means to rebuild their temple that Babylon had destroyed. People looked at Cyrus as the fulfillment of the messianic prophecy for them in their day. And then generations later, as new foreign oppressors, the Roman Empire would come in and once more subjugate the people of Israel. They cried out once more, asking that that same prophecy might be fulfilled for them. And in their time and in the days since then, Christ came to us, not only to liberate us from the oppression that we would bring to one another, but the oppression of our own sin and its guilt. We have reinterpreted and re-understood the messianic prophecies of Isaiah. This is not something new that I am innovating or that people within the Methodist church are innovating. This is who we are and what we understand Scripture to be. That God can take words that we thought we understood and break open new possibilities. And so we gather together to discover what God is asking. Sometimes God breaks open words to tell us that we should stand firm. Sometimes God breaks open possibilities to realize that we have to do a new thing. There are pivotal moments in Scripture when God is able to change how we understand things. I am standing before you a female, and yet in countless churches across the globe today, I am not able to do so. And women like me are not able to do so. But because we heard the words of the Apostle Paul in the letter to the church of Galatia, because we understand that in Christ there is no male or female, I am able to stand here now and fulfill the call that God has placed not only upon my heart but upon my life. It means that the work that we do as individual Christians and as disciples of Jesus Christ and as the body of Christ here in Crozet and the body of Christ of the United Methodist Church across the globe will change lives. This is not an intellectual exercise. This is us determining who we will be so that at the end of our lives, when we stand before our maker, our creator, and our redeemer, we can stand righteous and know that we have done to the best of our ability what God has placed before us. And so we do this work with a difficult piece of scripture. I don't think I've ever stood before a congregation and read the words temple prostitute. That's a new thing. And it's an uncomfortable thing. I mean, how many of you look forward to hearing about temple prostitutes? Might say more about you than it does me. 
But we are going to recognize that there are going to be some uncomfortable things. And today we are talking about human sexual expression. We are talking about having sex. And the Bible assumes that people will have sex. That's why there's so many instances and laws and commandments and even proverbs and parables about sex. Because we are people who have been gifted the ability of sexual expression. And the Bible in Deuteronomy lets us know that Temple prostitution was a thing. It was happening. What's intriguing, though, about it is that the text is mentioning specifically temple prostitute, and there's no temple. At this point in the history of the people of Israel, the Torah has got them to the point where they are right up on top of the River Jordan. It is the physical boundary into the promised land. And all of these people who are the descendants of those that have come out of exile in Egypt come right up to the river. They are so excited. They are like kids ready to go through the turnstiles into Disney World. And then Moses goes, wait, time out. Let's go over the rules. Let's talk about what's going to happen and what my vision is for you and what God wants from you and how you're going to mess up and how we're going to fix it. And like kids lined up at Disney World, they don't care. I don't want to hear this. Come on, we're right here. Can't we just get, can't you talk later? No, he can't talk later. He's actually not allowed to go in. He's got to get it all out right now. And we call that Deuteronomy. And so he's giving them laws. He's giving them foresight. Uh, He's also giving them the ability to fix their errors. And we know that the tradition says that this is the speech that Moses gives them, although chances are nobody was writing down this speech that Moses was giving them. We also know through criticism and textual redaction that this was a later addition because there was no temple. They had no idea of a temple. It's going to be books and generations later when King David says, you know what? I have a really awesome house. Maybe God should have a really awesome house instead of living in a tent. Let's give God a house. And God goes, if I wanted a house, I would have told you to build me a house. But now that you're dead set on a house, you can't build it for me, but I will let your son do it. We are generations away from that. We are nowhere near time to have a temple. So the fact that our text is talking about a temple prostitute lets us know that this is something that is very disturbing and weighs on the hearts of other scripture writers later on in the time of Israel. That now that there's a temple, there are people that are engaging in this process. And for us, we have to wrap our minds around this because Christianity has not been one that has included sex as worship. We have not had this be a part of our worship life. In fact, our worship life is so removed from the historical worship life of ancient Israel and many religions around the world that a lot of the things that people do are abhorrent to us. We would think it was atrocious if somebody brought up a live animal right now and I slit its throat, although that's precisely what's called for in biblical times, I have seen that live in India. That's how the Dalits, the untouchables, still worship. There are many different religions around the world that continue animal sacrifice for their reasons. There are also, historically and currently, other religions that believe that sexual expression in the midst of worship is worshipful. We don't have that understanding. And for most of us, we would like to simply forget that that was ever an option. However, back in the time of Deuteronomy and back in the time of Jesus' day and a little bit before that, when we put ourselves in that context, we recognize that there were people who were living in a religious world that enabled and encouraged sexual worship. 
And why? Why did it do that? Well, because back then, they understood the deities to be in pairs, that you had a male sky god that brought forth rain and thunder, lightning and hail, and those things that came down, and that they made the earth fertile, and the earth was always personified as a female fertility goddess, right? Mother Earth. And so when the male sky god brought forth water, it made the earth fertile, and the earth bore fruits and vegetables and grain and those, those good things that give us life, that sustain us. They bring forth more life. And so they believed that you needed to kind of cajole, you needed to get the gods to do their job. And so they did this through offerings and petitions and acts of worship such as sex that would encourage the deities to do likewise. Now just take a moment and just recognize that for a lot of people that was normal thinking. That is not the way we think, and it's very hard for us to go back in time and think that way, but that's what they thought. And there were plenty of cults and other religions that were engaging in this kind of worship. We find it sprinkled all throughout the scriptures. And what you're hearing in these two verses from the authors of Deuteronomy and the redactors of Deuteronomy is that that was not what we were called to do that God had asked God's people to do something different, that God didn't need to be cajoled or entertained by sex in order to do what God wanted to do, which is make the earth fruitful, that God did not need us to woo God into providing, but that God would do this because this is who God is, and that our worship is more about our relationship with God than our manipulation and our trying to get God to do what we want. God is ever willing to do what we need. We do not need to entice God into doing it. And so already the theology and the, and the liturgy, the way in which worship would function, were beginning to shift. God says, I don't need these things from you. But God doesn't say that all sex is bad. Now there is plenty of sex that the Bible will outright say, we're not touching, we're not doing that. In the whole, in the totality of sexual expression, there are many things that most of us don't even want to get into an argument about whether or not it's wrong. For instance, in just a few verses previous, the Bible once more stated that we are not going to practice incest. We are not going to have sexual relationships between people who are genetically tied closely together. Most of us don't want to argue that one. The Bible also says explicitly in Leviticus that we are not going to practice bestiality. We are not going to have sex across species. That, that is not why we were given this gift of sexual expression. Most of us don't want to have that conversation either. Isn't that comforting? But instead, we are now at a point in human history where human sexual expression is no longer binary. It is no longer heterosexual between a male and a female and homosexual between two of the same gender. There is a whole plethora of sexual expression and the church has not been current in this discussion and so we are playing catch up in rapid fashion. And our job as discerning rational Christians is to figure out in the totality that we have been given through our birth into, into humanity, what is it that we are asked to do as disciples of Jesus Christ? And this is the difficult question. The text is telling us that neither females nor males may serve as temple prostitutes. And because Deuteronomy is directed primarily at men, 
We have to recognize that there were men that were having sex with female temple prostitutes and men that were having sex with male temple prostitutes, that there was homosexual and heterosexual sexual expression in the confines of worship happening, and that the scriptures tell us that that is not what we were meant to do, that there is a time and a place for human sexual expression, and this is not it. And that furthermore, it recognizes that not only was this happening, but the fruits of it were that people were taking the income from serving as prostitutes, and then they were giving it to the Lord. And that was not okay for these people, that you weren't supposed to bring your ill-gotten gains in. Now, in a little while, we're going to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings, and we're going to pass around these baskets, and I don't go behind the ushers and go, did you gamble this week? Where did you get this money from? Have you paid your taxes on this money? Where did, have you rendered unto God the things that are God first, or where is this coming from? Is this truly your tithe? We don't do that. We leave that between you and God. However, the scriptures are for all of us so that we would regulate ourselves because if you don't place boundaries and fence things in, humans, some of us, can go absolutely crazy. There's an entire industry around keeping children safe. And that's because we've discovered that if there's an outlet, children will put their fingers in it or put something else in it. We've also discovered that if there's a door or a drawer, that when they start to become mobile, they will open them. They will get what's inside, whether they should or not. And so we created this safety industry so that there could be latches and complication so that children in their early phases can't get inside these things that we don't want them to have. Not until they're old enough to realize that you probably don't want to go into the drawer and play with the knives. You probably don't want to be sticking things inside of an outlet. But before they are old enough to understand that, God creates boundaries, right? We create boundaries. And so God has given us a place where we can explore sexual expression. And in the scriptures and currently in the United Methodist Church, that is solely within the covenant of holy matrimony between a man and a woman. Anything else is outside of the bounds. Now, the reality is that heterosexuals have been exploring sexuality outside of that narrow bound for a long time. Of all the weddings that I have done since I have been licensed since 2010, I think two of the couples weren't already cohabitating. Now, does cohabitation equal sexual expression? No. And does sexual expression equal full intercourse? No. But chances are there were plenty of people who entered into the covenant of holy matrimony within the bounds of the church, and they were probably not keeping to what we would have expected. Does that mean that we just toss out all the expectations? Absolutely not. But it means that each of us have to reflect on what it is that we are trying to do. What is the standard to which we seek to be and to which we rise? And the scriptures are here to help us discern what is right. Just because marriage is an option does not mean that all people should be married. Just because human sexual expression is full of possibilities doesn't mean that all of us should be using all of them or any of them. All of that is a process of discernment between us, between someone with whom we would seek to be engaged, and between God. What is it you would have of me, O Lord? And so we struggle with this as a church. 
we recognize that there are some things that are just going to lead to problems. And the problem with temple prostitutes was that it made people believe that you had to convince God to be God. It led people to believe that you had to do something, you had to give God something, or God would not bless you abundantly. And that is antithetical to who we are as United Methodists. We are people who believe first and foremost and stand upon the foundation that God is a God of grace. Unmerited favor. That is what grace is. It means that God is good to us when we are bad to God. It means that God loves us and is willing to forgive us even when we have done something so atrocious that we cannot speak it and name it. That God is willing to love us in the midst of our sin and our depravity. That God is willing to lead us into a bright and beautiful future where we can leave our sin, our evil, and our guilt behind. That is what grace means. But it also means that we as people who seek to receive such grace and embrace it must be willing to turn from certain things. And the question before us is, what is it from which we must turn? What is God asking us to leave behind? And that is hard work. It is difficult for us to discern that. Some of us may have the, pro the proverbial saying, a lot of skin in this game. Some of us may have none. But the anthem that the choir just sang tells us that if everyone is truly to have a place at the table, then all of us have skin in this game. That if the kingdom is truly for every single person that God has ever loved into being, has ever watched live out life, has ever watched sin and fail and fall short of the glory of God, that if it's for every single person, then yes, we have to buy into that too. We have to be committed to a kingdom where everyone has the opportunity to enter in. Whether or not we all choose to enter in or to live the life that will allow us to is an individual concern. But whether or not we are willing to create and be part of the creation and perpetuation of a kingdom where all can truly enter and gather in here, that is the decision that we are making. And that is scary. It fills me with anxiety. It keeps me awake at night. It makes me wonder what will happen. It makes me fearful that we will create a future where we cannot all believe that there is truly a place at the table even if we disagree on how we get the invitation. But at the end of the day, as a United Methodist, I believe in God's grace. And I believe that our willingness to get uncomfortable, our willingness to go there and to discern together, will be the difference between whether or not we, as the United Methodist Church, are part of creating that kingdom. And so we do this work. Because lives are at stake. There are people who will be watching and listening and paying attention to what we as a denomination are getting ready to do. And at the end of the day, because of how we have the conversation, not necessarily where we come out, but how we enter into the, dis the discernment process, people will decide whether or not they can have a home here. They will be listening to see if our words reflect Jesus Christ. They will be looking to feel how we discern and how we choose to show our unity in the body of Christ. 
the fact is very few congregations agree on everything. I doubt with the limited number of us here today, we could agree on everything. But here is the glory of God, that even in this space, should we have standing room only, or whether there were only three of us that showed up this morning, we can agree that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. We start there. That is the beginning of every conversation, that Christ is our Lord and Savior. And in unity in that, we can move forward. We can go through difficult texts. We can explore concepts that are painful and embarrassing and humiliating and anxiety-ridden. We can have conversations about sex, God help us, because we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and can see us through everything, anything, all of it. And as we continue this process, may that be the core of everything that we say and do, that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And if we start to say or do or think or feel anything that negates that truth, may God purge it from our midst. And may we become a people who can stand up under the light of Jesus Christ and proclaim to the world that we have done the spiritual work because we believe that we are part of creating a kingdom where all are invited to the table. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you again for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you found the message meaningful, and we invite you to join us in person as we gather for worship at Crozet United Methodist Church every Sunday at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. Please visit us online at www.crozetunitedmethodist.org to learn about ways you can connect with God and your neighbors through the ministries of Crozet UMC. Have a great week.